Hello everyone and welcome to the Null Signal Station, the official podcast of Null Signal Games for all your news, views and happenings from around the community. Uh, welcome today, uh, lots to look forward to in this episode. As usual we'll have the news, I've caught up with Cephalopod Wizard about another interesting rules section. Um, alongside that, not one but two interviews today uh, with Organised Play. Sanjay caught up live with the Sengrin um, at the East Coast Nationals. And I've sat down with Javi to talk a little bit more about Worlds and Organised Play organisation. Hello, this is Sanjay. Uh, I am here with a very special guest. Uh, would you please introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff, also known as Yuzengrin in a lot of online community spaces. I'm here today uh, with one of my many hats on, uh, primarily as the interim head of Organized Play, but also one of the main evangelists of single-sided Swiss and maybe a little bit of a playtester. We'll see if that sneaks into this conversation. Yeah, and uh, we are talking to you from back in time. It is today, uh, July 31st. We are one day after East Coast U.S. Nationals, uh, an event that I uh, was one of the judges at, and uh, Jeff was both a participant in and uh, ran the uh, side events on day two, the uh, the, the events that had uh, the Atomic Initiative legal in. Uh, so we're going to be talking to Jeff now, and then we're also going to be talking to Jeff after uh, our first Continentals that is coming up, the um, APAC Continentals, which is on uh, August 6th. Uh, so uh, for this interview, we're just going to be talking a little bit about, we just had Nationals. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Um, how, did, how was your Nationals experience? It was a ton of fun. I have actually gone to very few large events as a player uh, because my competitive journey was mostly playing casual events up until the game. FFG stopped supporting the game and then have only made it to online large events as a player and then to Worlds last year as one of the tournament organizers. So this was a great experience for me to kind of get the feel, the tension and the excitement of like going to an event, seeing the room fill up with people and then getting to just meet a whole bunch of people, play really fun and tense, exciting games and like go between rounds and go, how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? I don't know. I just had, I had a great time. And like, even though I am completely shot and exhausted today, I'm also like so excited about Netrunner and like so excited till I'm like, okay, when's the next tournament I'm going to go to? Uh, and fortunately that's gonna be right around the corner for me, but. Oh, what, what's the next tournament you're going to go to? I'm flying out to Cascadia. Uh, <gasps> Wonderful. So I'll, I'll be uh, plugging that on the next appearance, I think, a little bit more. But uh, but for those of you who haven't, you should get tickets. For- American Nats, uh, August 13th. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Oh, I'm so excited that you're going to that. Um, now, um, speaking of Nats, um, I thought we were pretty successful um, from, from a turnout uh, standpoint. I think it was a pretty smoothly uh you know things went smoothly and people seem to enjoy themselves um but i think an a special uh feather in our cap was that we were trying something brand new um well not brand new but at this size um with this many players at this level of tournament uh it was brand new and i think part of that was uh is a little bit your darling can you talk to us about that 
Yeah, so so even though I was not running this event, uh, you and Seba were very kind to give my darling uh, event format, which is called Single-Sided Swiss, a try. This is a thing that was done very, very briefly when Netrunner first started, but uh, it kind of got dropped and I brought it back a few years ago. Um, and what Single-Sided Swiss is, is classically for a long time in Netrunner events, what you have done is you get paired with your opponent and then you play a corp game against their runner and a runner game against their corp. And then you report the result of those two games individually. The difference with single-sided Swiss is that instead of getting paired against one person and playing two games, you get paired against a player and you play a single game and report the result of that back. Now, um, the problem there is that you're not playing, you know, if, if I play my runner game and then, you know, you play your, your, you're playing a corp game, then round two, if I, you know, what's going to happen round two? Because I've only played my runner. Um, what if I just play, you know, one deck the whole time? Um, that's not going to feel right. How do you address that? Yeah, so I did, I'm going to call it a lot of work a little bit generously, but it was actually, it, you know, some amount of work looking at different ways that we could address this. Because an example of a game that has slightly asymmetric sides, even though it's almost entirely symmetric, uh, in chess, black, white and black pieces are considered asymmetric enough that this is something that I think about. Now, chess tournaments tend to say the advantage isn't so big and we'll let you do kind of, we'll let it be a little bit flexible. The most important thing is pairing against people of the same side. But as Netrunner players, like we care a lot about both sides of the table. And so basically what I did was I took the chess algorithm and I started tweaking it a little bit so that we could care about the things that matter more to us as a community. And I said, you know what, the most important thing when I'm trying to find uh, a match in round two is that everyone who played Corp in round one is going to play Runner in round two. And so the out there's a little algorithm behind the whole system. But basically what it does is it, it says, okay, first I'm going to try and pair up everyone who won their runner game against someone who run, won their corp game and vice versa. That way people are playing across, but they're trying to play someone of the same strength of schedule. But let's say mostly corp players won round one for whatever reason, just hypothetically and definitely not something that happened uh, on Saturday. Um what happens is you pair up, you know, let's say you have, let's say for the sake of making this easy, you have 10 people and four of them, one is corpse and one of them, one is a runner. Uh, one of those corp winners is going to get paired against one of the runner winners and they're going to swap sides. So the person who won this runner will play corp. But then the other three people, oh my goodness, I made this ex simple example too complex even for me. Uh, those three people will get paired against someone who lost in round one, but played the opposite side that they did in round one. This is so that both people have, like everyone gets a chance to play both their decks before we really like start doing a ton of uh, adjustment based on results. This ends up meaning it kind of looks like double-sided Swiss, but it does allow you to accelerate the pairing quality a little bit at especially large events where people who won their first game are more likely to be win their second game as well. Uh, so, uh, so the algorithm will maybe uh, increase the likelihood that you get paired up or paired down, but because it's also accounting for side balance, but it's taking a, into account both those factors. Yeah, I think that's actually a much more concise and nice way of saying it. It's basically, it's looking at two things. It's looking at both your side balance 
and your score overall when trying to look at pairings. And it tries to balance those two factors. It balances side balance. It values side balance more than one or uh, like one win differences. So it will often pair up down or one, and then it gets a, it starts having some some sliding scale where sometimes it'll go up or down two wins, but then it will start looking at say, okay, maybe we should pair you against someone who's played the same side more because you're two wins ahead of the field. Now, you've touched on this uh, just now, and you've written uh, a lot of great stuff about this, but can you um, tell me why? Why go through this trouble of, you know, you've gone through a lot of trouble to make things run as well as they uh, did. We ran nationals on uh, Aesop's Tables uh, website and software that you put together so that you could do a tournament um, on single-sided Swiss. Uh Cobra AI uh, is the one that you use for double-sided Swiss, which also uh, runs fantastically. And we needed something like this for single-sided Swiss. So, so I mean, getting back to my question, you've put in a lot of work, uh, and a lot of people have put in a lot of effort to trial this and test it out. Uh, that's why we were excited to test it at Nationals at a big event. Why? What's the point? Yeah, so I'm going to say the initial motivation was effectively that I went to, I played in Continentals and Worlds in 2020 and 2021. And something that I started realizing was I was doing what's called two for oneing a lot. Uh, so, two for oneing is when you're in a double sided Swiss match, you sit down with your opponent. And what often happens in these events is you figure out at some point, okay, everyone has a record of like X and three, where what that means is they've won X number of games and they have three losses. Everyone with a worse record than that has zero chance of making it to day two or the cut to go in to try and win the whole event. And because of the way that Swiss pairings work, that means I'm going to be paired against someone who also has the same record as me. And so both of us have a record of X and three. And so if either, if either of us lose a game, we're out of the tournament. Yeah, you're playing two, but if you lose one, it's over. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good clarification. We're going to play two matches against each other, but if either of us lose a game, then we're out. So if we, you know, if you think about a, a game of Netrunners having a 50-50 chance, you know, one one quarter of the time I'm going to win both, one quarter of the time my opponent's going to win both, and half the time we're both going to win one. And so that means for me, basically I only have a 25% chance of advancing, and my opponent also only has a 25% chance of advancing, which is really weird. And players eventually figured out, oh, the correct thing to do is say, I'm going to reach an agreement with my opponent. Whoever wins the first game will count as winning both games. And that way, we both now get a 50% chance of moving on. So we've now found a way to play less Netrunner and get start distorting the tournament results. Because now I haven't won you know, 10 games and lost three. I've now won seven games and lost three and that starts to feel a little bit off you know it feels a little bit to me a little uncomfortable the other thing that happened to me at uh i believe it was worlds in 2020 was judges randomly assigned and so i played my runner four times and my corp seven times to get into the cut and my corp was way better than my runner that year. I was just not very good at running. And it was kind of funky to go, okay, I feel like I win or I'm going to make it into the cut, not based on my own skill per se or my own deck choice, but whether or not I win the coin flip on the two for one. 
And that just felt really crummy to me. And I think has some, had some, or continues to have some kind of systematic issues in terms of parity and equity. And when you have new players show up, you have to then explain that there's this whole extra metagame system to the tournament. And it adds a lot of just, I think, undue complexity uh, that I was kind of hoping single-sided Swiss would help reduce and make our tournaments more friendly and more representative of player skill. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, in terms of just the benefits and downsides of uh, single-sided Swiss pre-rollout, um, what what are are there any downsides to single-sided Swiss? Yeah, so the biggest difference, or the one of the biggest downsides with single-sided Swiss, is that you have more admin overhead for the same number of games played, and that's a pretty big cost. When you have a long event with lots of rounds, you're probably adding 10 minutes to a given round time. This is a real downside. And I think a uh, one that's kind of, you have to start making trade-offs with. And this is why I think a lot of people have some really real criticisms that are, I think, really fair and valid is my solution to this that I propose. Basically, you play slightly fewer games overall, but because you actually play every game, you get the same kind of statistical level of results in terms of, you know, uh, ensuring that the best players all make it to the cut. Now, when you're cutting games, that means people are playing less Netrunner for the same amount of time. And that is a real downside. Like, um, you know, if, if you could normally do six rounds of double-sided Swiss and you can only do 10 rounds of single-sided Swiss, well, you've lost out two games of Netrunner on your day and you spent the same amount of time at the venue space. Um, and I like that is a real cost. Um, I have reasons I think it's kind of worth the cost and that, you know, when you look at how many people end up two-for-one-ing or IDing throughout the event, it's not that many that big of a difference in games played, but it is there is undeniably a difference in the amount of games played. Yeah, certainly at at nationals, uh, we had very little. I mean, it was it's impossible to two for one. Uh, you only have one game, um, and we had very little IDing. The only people who were able to ID uh, were absolutely crushing up until round uh, seven or so, and they hadn't lost or they had lost almost nothing and like hey i if i lose all my games i'm still in so can i i'm just gonna offer a draw to you um now in terms of the rollout um have we learned any new benefits or downsides um since people have been trying out a single-sided swiss yeah, so I think this was one of the biggest unintended benefits that actually almost make me advocate for it more. It almost feels to me like a better reason than the reasons I actually went into it. And the biggest thing for me is when you have an event with an odd number of players, that player is only sitting out for 35 minutes rather than 65 minutes. And that's just huge to me. Um, I've shown up to plenty of like G and Ks, or, which are like usually supposed to be the most casual events. And sometimes those get run on a weeknight. And people will just be like, oh, it's just going to be three rounds. Oh, sorry, Jeff, you got the buy in round two. So you're going to sit here for an hour, one of the three hours of play, and just not do anything. Twiddle your thumbs. Um, and that's that's a bummer. And it's like, oh, if it's the final round, like I'm not sticking around for an hour to see who, who wins or loses. But I might stick around for 35 minutes if I'm having a good time overall. And so for smaller events or just events with odd numbers of players, um, the buy is like ends up being a lot fairer and doesn't feel like you've just wasted your whole day by showing up, maybe driving out to an event and then not actually getting to play for a big portion of the event. 
The other thing, and this is really a personal taste thing, and is maybe like just a, I like this is, I should say. For me, this is personal taste. I like the pacing of single-sided Swiss rounds a little bit more. And this is because I am a very fast player. Uh, we were playing 35-minute rounds. I think in almost in probably eight out of the 10 rounds, I finished with over 15 minutes on the clock left. Um, and I play both my sides that fast, and usually my opponents will match that pace. And so in single-sided Swiss, or I'm sorry, in double-sided Swiss, I often finish with over half an hour on the clock left to me, which is just a long time to lose focus, get anxious about my next round, and it just kind of gets in my head. Um, and so single side Swiss lets me take a short break and then keep going. Now, that's a personal thing for me. For a lot of, for a lot of people, they really like to have that luxurious 20, 30-minute break in between rounds. And I don't, like, that's just a... That's going to be a personal difference for everyone. Yeah, I'm I think, probably that way, to be honest with you. I think we're both yeah. pretty fast players, and um, you know that's going to be a tough thing, I think, for organized play to figure out. Like, how do we deal with these harder to quantify uh, things? Uh, I cut you off. Go ahead. Sorry, it's all good. I was going to say the other thing, and I, I actually like, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say someone messaged me, and I'm going to leave them anonymous. Just said I was super grateful for single sided Swiss because this is the first event I've come out to, and I got to meet so many people because you actually get. I got, I had two repairings, but that still means in ten rounds I got to meet. I think eight different people is how that works out. No, not uh, something like that. No, that's not quite right. We both did a very long term over the weekend. We can't be expected to do math like addition and subtraction. Yeah, maybe eight people is right, right? And that's 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 fun to get to like that can be a nice way to get into the community. And that's uh, like I think a neat thing when you're at a large event to just be like instead of meeting four or five people who maybe get increased, you know, uh, you get to meet almost twice that number just naturally by playing a game, and you can kind of feel comfortable to go. Hey, what's your other deck? As kind of a story thing, rather than as a oh, we have to now grind out another game, and maybe there's only 15 minutes on the clock left because our first game went really long. I, there's there's little things like that, and the problem with all these little things is there's also really good reasons and really good arguments for the little things in double sided Swiss. Like hey, you actually get to go and play that other match, and you actually get to see the person go. Oh, you did this really cool thing as runner. Let me show you my cool runner deck now. And that is a thing that you're losing when you go to single sided Swiss generally. Yeah, and thank you for for that very measured answer. I don't like to put um, my single sided Swiss champion in the position of you know talking about what's. What isn't working, but I think, you know, I, I love that we're getting this data and that we're seeing what's great as well. It's really awesome. Um, so I guess if uh, I can ask one more question about single-sided Swiss, uh, what's what do you predict or what would you guess the future of single-sided Swiss is going to be? Um, so I think it's going to continue to be something that's up to the TO's discretion on whether or not they want to use that or the more traditional double-sided Swiss. I'm not even sure, especially based on some of the pain points we found at red caps, if it's even going to be something we're going to push as a in null signal events. I think we're still really in the evaluation phase and figuring out if the benefits we see are worth the downside costs. I think we're still collecting data and nothing's going to change overnight. And I don't see us taking it away, taking moving to one system or the other completely anytime in the near future. 
Um, I should say for now I'm acting as interim director. Could be that someone new comes in and comes in with a fiat one way or the other. Um, but for now, m- between myself and the team, we're all curious about how single-sided Swiss works, but we really do think that we actually need to be honest in the evaluation and not force the community to go one way or the other. That's just kind of where we're trying to sit right now. Oh, thank you. Now, I have two other topics to address with you. They are a little bit inter, uh, interwoven. Uh, one is that you were running the side events that where uh, the Automata Initiative, people cut out little uh, printouts of them. Uh, the cards were legal. Um, did you see anything? Uh, what, tell, me, tell me what that was like. What was the energy like? What, what, uh, what stood out to you? I mean, people were having a ton of fun and there was a lot of people that were like saying, oh, I'm really new, but I'm really excited to go into the standard format where I don't have to worry as much about stuff like hard hitting news, which has just been a major bugbear. Um, I think it was really fun. I Like to me as a hard shaper player, it was great to see that almost every single, like I would say three quarters or more of the runner players all chose to play the new shaper, which I think is just like a really cool, like this is a mechanical hook that people are excited about whether or not it's good. I don't know. I did get to, did get to see someone hush a Masvingo, So it lost all of its subroutines and it was on R and D. And then they had how Masvingo works. That's incredible. Okay. (laughs) And then they had a a Pishikau on it. I, which is my best attempt to say that, which is the new click gain Trojan. And so then they started conduiting through R&D, paying nothing and gaining clicks while they did so. It was super cool. It was also really cool to me to see Asset Corpse come back on on in both uh, HB and in Epiphany Analytica. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can see scoring-based asset decks come back into the meta because those are my favorite type of deck. And we were starting to, I was starting to see some people experiment with those. So um, I'm hopeful that that's something that we can see in the near future. All right. And uh, the last thing I want to ask you, you know, since we're recording this before APAC, it puts you in a position to make a few predictions and then we'll see how you did. Now, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to, um, you know, uh, get give uh break breach any confidences or give away secret information so feel free to be as coy as you like but what do you think we're going to see at apac i mean i think we're going to see just about everything under the sun but i will give you what i think is to me probably one of the strongest deck one of the things i'm expecting to see a lot of is some kind of tag storm nbn deck most likely out of reality plus now i don't know if that's going to be a wide asset version or kind of a more I'm going to call it, you know, single remote. I was about to call it Drago like, but let's not let's not give it uh, that kind of uh, uh, cloud over its head. Just a a NBN uh, probably rally plus deck that's looking to make to just cover the runner and tags and exhaust their ability to clear them at tempo. I think to me that looks like NBN got a lot of great tag tools. I know people are not high on on Starlet Knight, and maybe I'm wrong about it, but. To me, there's just between that and like stuff like Behold, there's just going to be tags pouring out of NBN and runners are going to really struggle to keep up. And what are what do you think those runners struggling to keep up are going to who's going to keep up the best? So my boring answer is probably Reg Hoshiko can just it, like if I'm trying to make something quickly, I just drop the bin breakers, put in Cleaver, put in Buzzsaw, put in Mimic put in some leeches and say, I think I can make this work. Maybe I have to run a Svelte 55 cards rather than 62 cards. Um, 
But if I want to be a little bit more exciting and use new cards, I would not be surprised to see some uh, red crim back on the menu with Hermes able to really exploit corpse trying to go for uh, scoring windows and just getting hit with like multi-access or just lucky singles because that's what Leela does best. And we got Leela back. So that makes sense. That makes sense. But And so some of the runners that have more work that needs to be put in to uh, really optimize are going to be at the back foot to the um, decks that are starting not at square one. Yeah, I think, you know, I think I think long term Arasana is going to potentially be a real meta player. I think it's going to be very hard to optimize a Shaper deck in three to four days of JNet practice, which, you know, is not a lot to figure out an archetype that just hasn't really been a thing in competitive meta for over a year now. Sometimes it makes your deck worse. <laughs> um, all right. Well, those are the questions I had. Uh, Jeff, uh, is there anything else you want to add uh, now? I know we're going to have you back for another interview. Uh, feel free to plug things now or plug things then. Uh, I'll, I'll plug some things like now. Say? Yeah. Um, People should sign up for APAC. It should be a lot of fun. And the nice thing is, if you sign up for APAC this year, you can still sign up for every other Continental that you can attend. So you can show up to American Continentals, to APAC, and to Euros if you want to go for the, the, the Triple Crown, so to speak. Though I do think if you win one, we're not going to let you sign up for others because we want to give other people a chance. But uh, that's not an official policy. That's maybe just a recommendation. Sign up to as many Continentals as you're able to make and interested in. We would love to have people play in this new meta and enjoy it as much as uh, we hope that every that we think everyone will. Um, after that, make sure you buy your world tickets. We are actually going, we're getting closer and closer to hitting the cap. So uh, definitely check that out. And if you are interested in going to worlds, but maybe need some financial assistance, uh, Dan B is running a fantastic, um, always be running no run together um, it's initiative. A run together yeah yes run together initiative that you can apply for to see if you can get some help with paying for travel expenses um this stuff is all much closer around the corner as someone who's thinking about this every day now um so you know i'm excited to see continentals really looking forward to seeing what people grew up and it won't be that long before we get to have this whole chat about worlds all over again so oh fantastic um we will be dropping this episode after apac uh but okay. we will be hyping apac when we put out our emergency rules update uh mini episode so we will be hyping it up and i will say not uh, um organized play policy or opinion my opinion if you have won apac go win the other two i want to i want to i want a triple crown i want to see it um so I, I that's a difference of opinion uh but Nonetheless, Jeff, thank you very much for uh, being here and talking to me. And uh, I look forward to um, talking to you again after we have crowned our APAC champion. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Sanjay. Hi there, folks. It's me, Ed. He, him, uh, coming to you from Edinburgh. Uh, I'm joined this afternoon, both of us, uh, by the wonderful Javi, a.k.a. Ian. Uh, he, him. Hello, Ian. Hi, everyone. Ian, where are you coming from today? Uh, so I live in Lowestoft, so it's most easterly point of the UK, uh, kind of adopted by the Norwich Meta, which is a, a meta that's probably uh, recently um, resurged in itself in the last year or so. Um, so, yeah, 
Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's nice to do this kind of two-part interview. Uh, I know Sanjay caught up earlier in the week with Isengrin uh, at East Coast Nationals. Um, I just wanted to spend a bit of time chatting to you about, first of all, there's a few questions uh, that folks had about worlds and just a bit of communication stuff. Um, and then I know mm-hmm. you've been quite heavily involved in kind of the prizing side of things. Uh, so I just wanted to catch up a little bit about that, see if there's any interesting tidbits you had for us. Yeah, absolutely love to talk about um, anything, old P. Super. So I guess um, someone compiled a little list of questions that they'd seen in the community. Um, so I think maybe if I just run through these uh, and you can sort of expand. So um, mm-hmm. are we now sold out? Big question. Um, I would say yes-ish. Um, so the capacity we've put for the tables is 260 um, people. Uh, so what we've actually sold out on is the um, 230 tickets uh, because we've put tickets aside for the Nationals and Continental uh, winners. Um, now, we're not expecting um, every Continentals and um, National winners to be going to Worlds, so we do fully expect there'll be some free. Um, so later on, when we've kind of got those numbers a bit more firmed up, we'll, we'll be releasing those tickets later. Um, so the bit, the total capacity is 200, 260 uh, people. Mm, sure. And uh, I guess, have you got a time scale for when those tickets might be released? Um, yeah, so our initial plan, and this is something we're going to communicate at, uh, in an article hopefully soon, um, although we're still firming up the numbers, our, our initial feel is about six weeks before Worlds. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. So it's a decent a decent amount of time for people uh, if they last minute go. Do you know what? Actually, yeah, let me swing across for the weekend. Particularly, I guess the Europeans. Yeah, it's, it's trying to find that balance between not leaving it too late, but also making sure that we don't <laughs> give any way any tickets that people have won. So yeah, yeah, no, as a absolutely. six weeks feels about the right balance at the moment. Yeah, that's completely fair. I guess the um, the flip side of that. I'll, People who, who might have bought tickets and then something's come up and they realise they can't actually make it to Worlds. Um, have we got any sort of advice or support for them? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think ultimately it's um, it's not something that within um, NSG we, we could help out in terms of selling the tickets. Um, but given that we're a good two months out from Worlds and we've sold out the tickets, I like to think that there's still demand for them as well. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's. Um, I like to think that there'll still be people out there that would, um, I suppose, jump at the chance of getting the tickets still. Yeah, so would you recommend people sort of try and go about selling those tickets themselves? rather? Than- uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, the, the immediate obvious, you know, the... Um, in my head, the biggest communities out there, you know, you got uh, Green Level Clearance, you got um, still the Facebook groups that are still active, yeah. um, and you've still and you got uh, Steam Hack Slack as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's still plenty of, um, I suppose, community engagement out there um, to, to make sure that if you are trying to sell us um, a ticket, that it's still visible out there. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's some people who. Uh, were waiting for Run Together, who might have expressed interest in Run Together. Now, I know that's something you haven't been directly involved in necessarily. Um, have you got a little update on that? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I think first thing I'll say is, um, you know, I think the the run, the run together uh, that's done every year for Wales, I think it's absolutely fantastic that Dan runs that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's just absolutely, um, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, so those tickets that, if we do have leftover tickets, um, some of those will certainly be available to people that have applied to uh, run together and sure. um, although we haven't really advertised this um, it's subject to change of course um, um, it, it would be our intention as well that we wouldn't uh, be charged for those tickets that are done through run together no. um, fantastic um, and I suppose on people that might not buy tickets and I've been quite involved in this myself actually uh, <laughs> people who are volunteering at Worlds will they need to get tickets uh, no no they don't need to have tickets now okay so I suppose there's a chance that some of the people that have applied for volunteer um, support might have bought a ticket as well. So there's potentially some tickets uh, out there. I know I'll be communicating just yeah, on, yeah. on a personal note. I'll be communicating over the next couple of days. So maybe even before this podcast has gone out, there should be um, sort of confirmation that people who uh, who wanted to volunteer uh, have got those roles. Um, we are now at capacity for volunteers uh so i'll be reaching out obviously there's a chance that some people who applied to volunteer won't now be able to make it i've got a little reserve list as well um and i'm sure you know we can make use of hands if uh if required um so yeah a little psa from me <laughs> yeah and um you know um you know a big shout out to yourself ed um in that you've uh, you've you've helped um, a fat awful lot trying to fill those roles up and get a role shop together. So oh, now just uh, that that public kind of thank you because uh, that's that's not an easy job to do. No, no, no. thank you very much. Uh, yeah, hopefully I will I will get reach out to the volunteers and we can start getting them organised uh, over the next few days or weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Which covers, I suppose, a couple of those questions there. Oh yeah, people. I suppose the, the last one, people who aren't playing in the main event, so there's two sides to that coin. Um, people who might be travelling with a partner or a friend uh, who might want to watch a little bit of the tournament action, will they need a ticket? Mm-hmm. Uh, so currently we're saying uh, no on, on that ticket front. Um, although there's limitations on the, I suppose, the table space, and ha, I'm kind of making it sound like it's going to be really tight in there, but it, it, it isn't. It's just 260 spaces where, you know, the, the players would be comfortable or have a comfortable amount of space in there. Mm. Uh, there certainly be enough, um, a lot of standing space, uh, but multiple rooms also. Um, so, yeah, there's certainly space for people to be spectating, but also for people to be hanging about as well. Um you know, in terms of, yeah, I think at the moment, the f- one thing we're p- unsure about is whether there'll be space for people to uh, just play side events um, or do their own thing. Um, I, I, I've, we, we haven't really fully landed on that yet, but um, I, I, my gut instinct tells me I'm pretty sure there'll be a couple of tables at least free for people to have casual games. Okay, um, fantastic. That, 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 that's where my gut is at the moment, but we, we kind of just need to land on that as well. Yeah, no, makes perfect sense. Um... I think that covers all the questions that I had kind of regarding Worlds. Was there anything else you wanted to add on, on that? Oh, Worlds, yeah. It's, um, it, you know, this, this, um, this kind of uh, podcast is really timely because, you know, we, we're in a position where we've sold 230 uh, 30 tickets or sold out. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's just absolutely amazing. Um, and if I've got my maths right, um, that's a big if. <laughs> um, I believe this is going to be our biggest worlds in NSG. Um, so I think that's just absolutely amazing that, yeah. um, again, if I've done my maths right, it's five years uh, NSG have been kind of, I suppose, running this community effort. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and the fact that we've got our biggest wills after five years, I think, is uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, from, from behind the scenes, there's so many people in, involved, um, you know, like, like yourself, Ed, um, you know, Ma, who's suggested the venue um, in the first place and has really been that focal point on, um, on the ground yeah. uh, locally. Yeah. Um, you know, without Mar being that presence, um, oh God, it'd been so much more difficult. So, uh, but there's also people, other people in OP, and uh, I could, I know I'll be missing people from NSG by mentioning by name, but there's so many people that are involved and trying to make this, um, this is a fantastic as it can be. It's just, um, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's, um, it's feeling pretty good at the moment. Yeah, it's really exciting. It is. I absolutely can't wait. We're about, well, two months to the day off me travelling to Barcelona. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very, very exciting. Um, so I suppose that the sort of part B of the interview, I wanted to catch up a little bit about uh, your work on price support. Uh, yeah. I don't really know um, where to start. Yeah. Maybe your background <laughs> of what you do in terms of price support. Yeah, so, so it's kind of um, one of my roles within organised play. And I probably, um, if I were to actually say a bit, kind of... Um, I suppose my journey with NSG. Um, so I, can't, I joined Organised Play um, in late 2001, uh, 2021. So this is kind of at like the back end of the pandemic, which was <laughs> quite an interesting experience when um, you know pandemic was still you know very much uh, really big and you know, quite a scary thing actually, yeah. um, and trying to keep um, the, the events going. Um, and yeah, so this is my second season or second full season. Um, but I've kind of almost got, um, I said one, <laughs> one foot out the door, um, but I'm not leaving um, the signal games. I'm going to a different department. I'm going to the visual department to do the price briefs and sure. also the normal briefs. Um, so, yeah, one of my big part is um, you know coming up with the pricing um, uh, for, for the season and for the kits, um, helping out with the briefs or sometimes doing the briefs themselves. Um, getting the feedback from the artists and um, um, doing that quality check and um, um, yeah, effectively trying to yeah get into k- k- uh, the back more back end of the kids. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know that's just not that's not um, one person's job. Um, you know, I'm very very lucky that we have um, a really <laughs> amazing visual team that you know produces um, absolutely awesome briefs and it's actually the first season that um the brief writing was um yeah the brief writing effectively transferred over to the visual team it used to be done in-house organized play and um you know that you can see from the the arts work this year i think the artwork's been absolutely fantastic um you know you look at things like the boomerangs the hippos um absolutely amazing and you know we're in a position where um you know, we're in a really good place of Wills. Um, we've probably got roughly half of our arts work um, completed for the Wills, and I'm really looking forward to you know, touch wood to be spoiling at the end of this month, um, oh, end fantastic. of August. Um, and the, the quality of it has just been, um, again, just um, uh, so looking forward to seeing the um, community's reaction to that. Um, 
but also other things that you know we, we did we have we do listen to feedback from the community within op and one of them is being really the i would say the late delivery of circuit openers but the applications opening later than it should be and then that's eaten into the season when people can release their kits which is an absolutely valid concern um and what's really really good news is that we've actually got the artwork uh, completed um it's just ready to template and all that stuff um for the first circuit opener next year um so we're anticipating that to be released um kind of later on in the year but with the ambition that people will have it in their hands to effectively have events really early next year okay uh but yeah, um, yeah. Keep an eye out for when it comes to new artwork or new briefs. Yeah, certainly keep an eye out for the end of this month. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's my that's my ambition yeah. to release an article with the first um, with the first alt arts, um, um, just to get that you know get people all hyped up for worlds. Not that they probably need it. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Um, I guess what what for you makes a good prize quite an open. Oh, that's. Uh, that... <laughs> That's a really good question because I, I often discuss this with people both inside and outside of NSG. You, you kind of want a, a card that's popular, but usually when a card's popular, usually it means it's quite strong. Mm. And it's kind of trying to flirt around thinking, oh, well, actually, you know, do you think that card's flying a bit too close to the sun or not? Because <laughs> uh, the last thing you want to do is have a promo, which then gets banned really, really, really quickly. Um, and and there's a bit of, there's a bit of an art to that. Um, um, you, you try to find cards that um, you know are popular, um, but not what you think. You kind of a judgment that's not overpowering the meta at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I, I you know the thought of doing endurance as a uh, old arts never really occurred to me because I thought nah, that's, <laughs> that that's living a uh, that that definitely is flying too close to the sun. Yeah. Um, but, but also you have to be careful about um, trying to release cards that are not going to get rotated anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are exceptions. We, we, we have done cards that have probably rotated within a year. Yeah. But it used to be iconic cards like Hard Hit and Use, which we did for last year for Worlds. Um, but we also try not to do art... Um, that's just recently been released. Um, but again, um, I'll be honest with you, these are not hard set rules, but they, they tend to be just uh, more, or certainly the latter when it comes to newly released cards, they tend to be more rules of thumb than actual hard rules. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that is because we are doing an alt art for <laughs> one of the new uh, one of the new cards for circuit openers, so oh, cool. I don't want it to, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is really cool. It's actually a really good looking alt art, and again, I'm really looking forward to people seeing that. So yeah, there's there's, there's various bits on it. Um, mm. um, yeah, there's there's kind of yeah, there's quite a lot, um, um, quite a lot to it. Yeah. Um, what um what art have you got coming up in kind of prizing? I suppose for worlds or for the next CO kit that you're particularly excited for people to see. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the, um, I probably could say a few words um, uh, on it. Uh, so for, for Worlds, um, we're doing prizing for standard, obviously standard because that's the main event, but we've also got prizing for the startup event. Um, the one I can share, I reckon the ones I can show with you now, um, we've got one that was done by um, by somebody in, in green, green Level Clearance. Um, in fact, it was... Um, they were posting their art 
Ingrid level clearance and somebody from OP, or Jeff specifically, um, said, oh, I really like the look of this. And then we actually chose to use that art um, for um, one of the startup prizes, which would be Punitive Counter-Strike. Um, because I think it's really, really cool that we can have that kind of sort of flexibility to say, oh, yeah, the community's produced something really cool here. Can, you know, can we can we use it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the standard one, uh, we've got um, NGO front, um, which, again, is, is, is a really nice-looking art. Because um, what we try and do is we try and, for the worlds, we try and include um, – a card that reflects the location of worlds. So if you remember last year, we did one for Bravado, yes. which was to do with, I believe it's the Toronto Tower. I've, my geography isn't that good, but um, you know, included that. And we've got one that includes a bit of the Barcelona, um, some of the uh, Barcelona, um, what do you call it, landmarks okay. on it. Um, another bit I'm really excited about as well is, if you remember, we did the runner avatar identities for the three... Gateway Runners, sure, um, and we've redone that for the latest um, uh, for the latest runners. Um, uh, yeah, so that again, uh, that's just that art's just coming last week and being finalised, and that looks really that, that that I love those because you can be really abstract and push the boat out in terms of what you can do. Yeah, because it's all that's it's kind of the represents the avatar identities that. Um, represents them within that space mm. so it could be very abstract and i think this time around we've pushed the boat even more um and again i'm really looking forward to seeing what the um reaction is particularly as i did the padme uh, i did the brief for the padme one and i'm okay. really really happy with that so yeah that, that's that's a, that's a few of them yeah. um quite quite a lot to chew um, on there uh there is it's it's um there's quite a there's quite a lot of pricing um, yeah. um as you would expect from worlds um um Probably a thing on prizes as well. Um, we're looking to do World Tree as a playmat uh, standard. Uh, I think World Tree is going to be look absolutely amazing on the playmat side. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we're still trying to get. Um, it's very very early days on this, but um, so this is going to be heavily caveated whether it will happen or not. But you know, trying to go do the false leather deck boxes as well. Okay. Um, a bit like um, if people remember what. Um, FFG did for deck boxes. Um, I can't remember what it was, um, what event they did that on, one of the big events. Uh, we'll we try to do something that's, um, you know, that, that, that kind of, I would say similar, similar-ish, um, could be very different, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of what inspired that. Fantastic. Um, Loads so yeah, of people excited about there. Yeah, and, 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 I'm, and uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to what people's reactions are when we release it um, at the end of this month. So I suppose to to sort of wrap up just briefly, uh, I couldn't have you on without asking um, about your sort of thoughts on the current meta at the moment. We're bang in the middle of continental season. Obviously, we had APAC last weekend. Mm. Uh, we've still got Euros and we've still got the American continentals to come. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting meta, and you know, from what I've seen and what I've played in, it certainly seems a, a healthier and happier meta than it was probably last card card release mm. um um i'd certainly you know you, you mentioned apac which is really cool um because that was you know that i think that was like double the size of last year um i'm pretty sure it was about double the size which yeah, was, it was just yeah. fantastic um and also what's really great is you, you you see an events being won by i'd say not i don't want to say you were players because that might be 
um, not the right way of expressing it, but certainly players that have only, I suppose, recently joined the scene. Yeah, not, like, um, not necessarily household names. I was certainly scanning through the the finalists going, oh, I've not heard of them. Um, yeah, and I think that's actually fantastic because that's just showing that you know uh, new people getting engaged in the um, in into the OPCs, and I think it's actually fantastic. Uh, for, for the games I've played, um, absolutely love uh, the U Shaper ID. Um, yeah, just having lots of fun with um, with the Trojans. Um, yeah, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what cards to cut and trying to keep to 45 cards because I get almost here. People saying, "Oh, Ian, don't <laughs> don't go with forty-five cards, whatever you do," yeah. um, and that's quite a challenge. Uh, but it's a really fun deck to play. Um, you know, would I say it's the best winner deck? I don't know. Maybe the way I pilot it, it certainly isn't. But it's certainly really fun, and you can do some cool uh, skateboard tricks. Um, yeah, and certainly it feels like the corp meta hasn't been really resolved. Although the um, uh, certainly outfit does look like it's got um, a lot going for it. Um, you know, it, I, you know, I, I don't say it surprised me, but I thought, you know, they'd lost the big barrier breaker, uh, breaker, um, the big, barrier. Sorry, big ice barrier, not barrier breaker, yes, yeah. the big barrier. Because oh. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I thought, oh, that's a bit of a loss, but actually, um, um, you know, they, they that, that outfit seems to be doing all right, and particularly with that new operation pivot. Yes, um, that's 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 a that's a that's a. I must admit, I kind of slept on that card, but when I saw it in action, I was like, oh, yeah, that's um, that's a really neat card for that kind of flavor of outfit when you're doing fast advancing. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really excited to see actually how the meta shakes out um, for Mega Continentals. And it's probably worth mentioning that as well, isn't it? The Mega Continentals, um, um, that's the... Um, yeah, that's going to be the first face-to-face uh, since the pandemic. Um, yeah, that's right. And... I can see I'm just having a look at all that's been running. That's obviously on the 13th of August. This episode is probably mm-hmm. going out around then, so this could be a nice oh, listen cool. along in between the in the breaks between rounds. Um, but that's going to be in person at Cascadia uh, on the West Coast. Um, and, yeah, currently got 60 people going. Not Netrunner players alike. Yeah, always fine. Not <laughs> that could well be 80. Um, and then the week after, we've got the Europe, Middle East and Africa Continentals. That's on the mm. 20th of August. Um, already, again, 50 people. That's online um, with the kind of the World Championships being in person in Europe this year. Uh, the Continentals is online and then vice versa for next year. So, I mean, Yeah, it's it's, um, it's certainly a busy time for um, organised play at the moment. Yeah. Um, but it's absolutely great to see. I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to see the feedback on the... Um, Cassadia, um, I think that's going to be, um, yeah, it's so great to see. Big, yeah, I, I can't look back on what UK nationals was like. Um, I think we're close to 100 people, and you know, it's just um, to see the community together and you know, enjoy themselves is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, makes it worthwhile, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's um, it, it really does, you know, yeah. Ian, thank you ever so much for joining me. Was there anything else, uh, before I let you go? No, just a just a thank you for you know for your time as well for um, letting me have a chat and no, um, fantastic. That is, always I really appreciate it. Always, always a pleasure to catch up. Um, thanks very much. Cheers, pal. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back, everyone. It's me, Ed, uh, bringing you the news. Quite a lot to get through, so I will, in my usual fashion, talk quickly. Um, first of all. 
working in reverse order. Uh, the Automata Initiative has now started shipping. Um, keep an eye on the website and on all their socials for updates of where things are coming out. And uh, I've seen a few cards in people's hands now, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, so keep an eye out for any updates in your area. Um, a little bit more about Worlds. I covered a bit uh, with my interview with Ian um, about Worlds, but uh, an article that went up on the No Signal Games website. Uh, call for Works at the gallery. If you're an artist and you're interested in having your work displayed, uh, Mar PSK has organised potentially on the Thursday evening a, a gallery display uh, where your work can be exhibited um, and potentially sold as well. Uh, really, really exciting. So if you are an artist, it's really worth checking out No Signal Games uh, website and looking at the article World Dark Gallery uh, to find out a little bit more about how you can display your work and maybe potentially create some new work uh, inspired by the Netrunner universe. Um, Tammy Joe did an, uh, an amazing article or two uh, over the last week. Uh, we've got an article here that was um, the highlights of the uh, the rules, and I caught up with Cephalopod Wizard uh, to go over some of the rules from the Automata Initiative. Tam and Joe also put out an article covering those, well worth a read. And another article from Tam and Joe, um, a roundup of the Asia Pacific Continentals, if you've got a chance to watch that. Uh, fantastic entertainment uh, and incredible people managing to build such uh, strong, interesting decks for a short period of time after the card's being released. Massive congratulations to Charlie DMCB. Uh, I think quite a new player, certainly not a, a player that was on my radar, um, taking down a tournament of uh, over 90 people. Really quite impressive. 94 people in the end, cut to eight people in the top cut. Also, big congrats to Jai, to Kira, and to Mr. Sticks uh, there in the top four. Um, and it was nice to see such a, a spread of, of decks, particularly on the corp side. Uh, so really good to see. Um, speaking of recent results, uh, also say a massive congratulations to the East Coast Championship uh, winner, Wiganometry, who took down Deer in a, a very tense final. Uh, really, really exciting. Again, really great large tournament of 60 people there. Uh, and from everything I've heard from the people that were there, they had a great time. Uh, sort of a little send-off for the old meta there. Um, lots of Shiko. Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, I don't know when this episode will go out, but it might already have started or be happening. Um, but on the 13th of August, we've got the America Continentals at Cascadia. Um, again, looking at big numbers there, in-person Continental Championship, very, very exciting. And then the weekend after, we've got the online uh, EMEA, Europe, Middle East and African um, Continental Championships. Uh, tickets for those still on sale. I urge you, if you're on the fence, to play competitive Netrunner. It's certainly, to my mind, the best way to play Netrunner is when it's high stakes. Um, and being online, you have the great opportunity to to kind of wander off between rounds, get some quiet time, listen to some music, put your headphones in, grab yourself something to eat. Um, so if you're concerned about being quite a stressful environment, um, I can recommend you know playing online. Is a good way to ease yourself into that competitive netrunner scene. Um, other news from me, I suppose the last thing I think is worth mentioning, obviously World's tickets have sold out. I caught up with Ian a little bit about that. 
Um, but uh, something that's mentioned on the Friday, the Crown of Servers tournament is going to be uh, Bcom, Bcom sponsored, Barcelona Com sponsored. Um, so teams for that, you want to start yourself organising yourself into teams of three. It'll be over three formats, standard, startup and eternal. Uh, if you're interested in uh, learning a bit more about Eternal, a, a format that isn't played necessarily as much as the other two, uh, there's two events coming up at two different uh, time points. One of them's on the 26th of August at 9am uh, UTC, and the second is Sunday the 10th of September at 5pm UTC. Uh, so those two different time zones should work well, should mean that you can find one. Uh, I love playing Eternal personally, getting to play with old cards. Uh, it's not quite as busted as people make it out to be from from speaking to people that do play a lot of Eternal. Uh, the games are fun and exciting and there's plenty of opportunity to, to do some quality, interesting deck building. Um, so if you're interested in that, if you want to practice before Worlds or you just want to try a different format, uh, again, worth checking out the NSG website uh, announcing those two tournaments. Um, that's the news from me. Hello, folks. It's us again at the Rules Corner. I'm Ed. I'm Cephalopod Wizard. Hello, hello. So, we may have discussed this in the future. We may have discussed it in the past. Hosting. Let's go, Seth. What have you got to say today about hosting? All right. Hosting is something that comes up every so often, and people ask, do I have to pay for the card that's hosted? Is the card that's hosted installed? Is it active? And the answer to all of those is sometimes. But luckily, we have some rules about when those times are. The first type of hosting is, well, first of all, what is hosting? That's basically when you staple one card to another card to modify that other card. And and this pretty much only... Not physically, I hope. Yeah, not physically. The judge will come and tell you if they want you to. <laughs> but there's a couple of different ways you can host cards. One way is a card might say, this, th- this card can host another card. And this is just making itself available as a place that's legal to install cards. One example would be Flameout. In fact, the only example that's legal and standard that does it that works this way is flameout it says flameout can host a single program and it lets you do things with that program and because it doesn't tell you that it doesn't give you a way to install that program that is how we know that when you're installing programs through any means you can install them hosted on flameout and this means that they are installed they're active you have to pay to install them Uh, The much more common thing these days is a card itself will say, you can install me hosted on something else. And an example of this would be Hush or Botulus. And they will tell you, install only on a piece of ice. And this one, we can also tell they are installed, you pay for them, they're active because they say install on ice in their texts. So we can take a guess that they're installed. But there's some cards where you don't install the cards, and you don't pay for the things that are being hosted. And this is where something like Matryoshka comes in. It says, 
you click to host a copy of Matryoshka on your grip face up on this program. And it only says host. It doesn't say to install the card. So we know that this card is not installed, not paid for. And that Matryoshka that's hosted in the chain of nesting dolls is not active. So unfortunately, we can't actually do the nesting doll thing where they're all nested inside each other because the hosted Matryoshka isn't active and you can't host something on that Matryoshka. They all have to go onto the first installed Matryoshka that you paid for. Another example of this is Paul's Cafe. That one gives you an ability to click to host a card on Paul's Cafe. And later you've got an ability to pay credits to install it. But because we are because we are hosting it and the ability doesn't tell us to install or pay for that card, we don't pay for it. It's not installed. It's not active. And once we use that other ability to install the card from Paul's Cafe, then it's active. But we should talk about a counterexample. And there's not very many of these, actually. One example of card that says, I can host cards, and it gives you a way to install them, is London Library. It tells you, click install a non-virus program from your grip on London Library, ignoring the install cost. So that word install there is the keyword that tells us this is installed and not just hosted. That card is both installed and hosted. And then there's other ways of hosting, but they're a little more intuitive because sometimes cards talk about hosted counters or sometimes there will be hosted condition counters. And those are just hosted on the card through the normal, through the normal hosting rules. And we just know those are active or usable. Yeah, you've said here uh, MCA Informant. I remember that's quite a difficult card for a number of reasons for rules, isn't it? Ah, yes. Not because of hosting, but that, but there is fun trivia behind that card. <laughs> Maybe for another episode. But MCA Informant is a card. Yeah, MCA Informant <laughs> converts itself to a hosted condition counter. And this means it's not technically a card. It transforms itself into a little token. In real life, it's still a card and you'll just host it on the target and for the listening audience mca informant says that you install it as a hosted condition counter on a connection resource and then it has further abilities now the difficulty that it has given rules team in the past is that when an ffg printed this card it said install hosted on a connection and they happened to print a connection that was on the corporate on the corporation side called Corporate Troubleshooter. It was an upgrade with a connection subtype. So for a brief moment in time, you could install MC, you could use MCA Informant on your own Corporate Troubleshooter, which would cause the runner to be tagged, which is very bad news for the runner. And the normal way that you deal with MCA Informant is that you can pay a click and two credits to trash the resource that has been turned into an informant. But Corporate Troubleshooter isn't your card. So the only thing you can do is you have to run and trash Corporate Troubleshooter, which was a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember getting into a sticky situation with that once, actually. Yeah, when I first started playing. <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness MCA informants out of the game now. 
I think it's still in the game. What changed was that we reprinted Corporate Troubleshooter in System Update, and we removed the connection subtype. We said, that's nonsense. That's a runner subtype. Get that off of this card. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks very much, Seth. Thanks for thanks for uh, being hosted. Uh, <laughs> thanks for hosting. Whether you were installed or whether you're a condition counter remains to be seen. But thanks very much. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed the catching up with organised play today. Um, certainly, a really interesting couple of interviews there and shed some light on the ins and outs of organising tournaments and the competitive netrunner scene. Um, thanks again to my guests, to our guests, uh, to hosts and all the people that put hard work into producing this podcast. I've been Ed, and we'll see you on the next one. Ta-ra for now. <laughs>